Well, I don't know about you, but Palm Sunday always seems a little mixed up to me. It's a little bit of this and a little bit of that. A little bit of this and a little bit of that. It is a little bit Good Friday and a little bit Easter, all mixed up together. I often wonder uh, why it is that we come to this time, and then I'm reminded that most of the time, our lives are a little bit of this and a little bit of that, right? A little, little bit of Good Friday, a little bit of Easter, all mixed up together. I, I applaud you for coming on Palm Sunday. You, too, have often wondered, why bother with the Sunday before Easter? When Easter's coming, it can seem anticlimactic. And I hope, friends, that you will find a blessing in having been faithful today to coming to God's house. Now, I don't mean by that that we're going to get it all done today. I don't want to take away from Good Friday and Easter. I want you to come back both of those times. You will want, I know, to come on Friday evening to journey with Jesus through his passion under Reverend Kristen's careful and loving guidance. Uh, who else would we trust to take us through that journey but our dear and sweet Reverend Kristen, who will have a pastor's heart for us as we hear those hard words and see again in our minds those images. You won't want to miss that. And if you can stay after to pray for something you've had on your heart, plan to do so. Our prayer team will be here to intercede with you with God about whatever it is in this Lenten season that you need to pray about. It will matter to us as it matters always to God. And gosh, come on, Easter. Our celebration on Easter will befit the enormous joy we feel at being told again of Christ's resurrection from the dead. There will be music and dance. Our celebration will match our exhilaration at being told yet again that death has been defeated. It'll be something. But we're not there yet. It has been the wisdom of the church down through the ages to caution us not to leap too quickly to Easter joy without several weeks of self-reflection and prayerful consideration of who we are in God's world and how we might use the Easter moment as the launch of a new or a renewed life. Next Sunday we will rejoice again that we are resurrection people. And in the weeks that follow during Eastertide, we will explore what it means to live as if death no longer mattered. And we will ask ourselves what we might achieve since we are living lives without end with God as our helper. What can we do together? On Easter Sunday we will celebrate, but we're not there yet. And then the following Sunday, we will remember the history of this great church on its anniversary and rededicate ourselves to its future as a caring and worshiping, healing, justice movement leading embodiment of the love of Christ Jesus. On May 1st, Reverend Elder Troy Perry, the founder of all of the Metropolitan Community Churches and a personal hero of mine, will be here to preach at our Sunday morning worship services and Reverend Elder Nancy Wilson will bring the spiritual encouragement at my service of installation as your senior pastor that afternoon. 
Now, I don't know exactly what Troy will say to you that day, but I think I know him well enough to know that he will remind us in some way that we are a part of a Holy Spirit-led movement for justice for LGBT people that has grown over the years to become a movement of justice for all people, not just LGBT folks. We are indeed about the business of tikkun olam, of healing and repairing and reconciling the broken world that God loves so very much. That afternoon, Reverend Elder Nancy will lead you in laying hands on me and praying that my ministry among you will be empowered by Abba God and inspired by Mama God and led by Brother Jesus because it is Jesus' ministry. It's not mine. Is that right? It is not mine. It's Jesus' ministry. He who is the ever-living head of Christ's body, the church. You see, Troy is our founder, but he is not our head. Nancy is our elected moderator, but she is not our ultimate leader. And I am more and more every day your pastor but I am not your primary guide when Troy or Nancy or I guide you best it's when we are listening most to the words of our Savior following most closely Christ's example and trusting most keenly in Jesus guidance for the movement that bears his precious name I bet Troy and Nancy will remind us of that again on that great day of celebration. But, friends, we are not there <laughs> yet. We are here faithfully on Palm Sunday. And before us are our texts for today, this odd mixture of pathos and triumph. Isaiah in a fight and Jesus on parade. What are we going to do with that? Well, we're going to do something. These scriptures give us insight into what kind of leader Jesus is. And by his example, the kind of leaders Jesus wants each of us to be. And we should pay attention. Because over the next few days, we will make a shift in our thinking from being followers of the prophet from Nazareth to being leaders in the Easter Christian movement. God is calling us to move from being just members of a wonderful church to becoming resurrection people. And there's a difference. There is a difference at Resurrection Church. Leaders in our homes, leaders in our workplaces, leaders in our schools and communities. That's who we are, resurrection people. We can dare to become leaders because we have Jesus as our template for leadership. Jesus is our example. If Jesus is our example and our texts for this morning are indicators of how he leads, we know at least three things about the kind of leaders that we can be. We know that we can be determined even when the task is difficult. We know that we can be confident even when our success is not apparent. And we know that we should be humble. Humble. 
remembering who we are and who we serve. Our reading from Isaiah is one of several in the Hebrew scriptures that the church came to believe were prophecies of Jesus, the Messiah, the one who would save. Isaiah was talking about himself in this passage, but the early church mothers and fathers saw in Isaiah's description of his ideal such a picture of the Jesus that they knew, they sort of just attached it to Jesus. That's the way we do, isn't it? We saw something pretty over here, and we said, that's like Jesus. And so we said, well, they must have been talking about Jesus. That's exactly what the folks did. God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious. I did not turn backward. Doesn't that sound like him? I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who pulled out the beard. I did not hide my face from insult and spitting. God helps me, therefore I have not been disgraced. Therefore I have set my face like flint, and I know that I shall not be put to shame. The one who vindicates me is near. Who will contend with me? Let us stand up together. Who are my adversaries? Let them confront me. It is the Lord God who helps me. Who will declare me guilty? Both the prophet Isaiah and Jesus showed the kind of dedication to God's cause that allowed them to be dignified in spite of the greatest disrespect others could show them. Do you hear how Isaiah describes his own mistreatment? He doesn't say, they beat me. They pulled my beard. They spit in my face. Do you hear the difference? What he says is, I offered my back to the lash. I offered my cheeks to the beard pullers. I offered my face to those who would spit on me. The person who gives herself in the cause of great good can never be disgraced, no matter what indignities are heaped upon her. Not ever. The dignity that comes from being justified from above allows her to stand with courage and dedication in the midst of whatever the oppressor pulls out of the torture sack. To beat and insult and spit on one who is dignified makes somebody look disgraceful. But it is not the one who stands firm and lifts their face. Now, be careful here. Be careful. Don't think I am saying to you that you should go out and look for opportunities to be spit upon. Indeed not. Jesus spent most of his time inviting people to live lives full of joy. Surrounded and infilled by God's loving spirit. Isaiah said that the lion one day would lie down with the lamb. And Jesus said, hey, today's the day. Now is the acceptable time. This is it. You can have what, Reverend Michael? Happiness now. Now. That was the message Jesus took to Jerusalem in the last week before his crucifixion. No army marched behind him. This time there was no food to be passed out. 
All he controlled was the message. The response of the crowds to his message of hope for the poor, for the powerless, for the marginalized was not his responsibility. His responsibility was only to deliver the message, to bring the good news. The response at first was encouraging. The relatives of the people Jesus had healed shouted, Hosanna, save us too. Did you know that's what Hosanna means? It's not praise. It means save us. Save us, son of David. Poor people, excited by Jesus' message of enough for everyone, honored him the way they'd seen kings honored when they came home from war. They spread palm branches and olive branches and leaves from whatever trees were nearby in his path. Even their own clothes they pulled off and tossed in the way. We wonder if the poor people in the crowd could have known what the scribes and the Pharisees knew the significance of the fact that Jesus came into the city riding a donkey and the colt of a donkey. wonder how he did that. Did he straddle both of them at the same time? <laughs> Was it like a tandem act in the circus? What did he do? Well, Jesus cares about us. And Jesus knows that sometimes we're a little simple-minded. We take things really literally. And the Old Testament text, I'm sorry, pardon my language, the Hebrew Scriptures text said the Messiah will come riding on a donkey. In fact, Messiah will come riding on the foal of a donkey, the lowest little horse you can find. And so because, for emphasis' sake, that poetic author had repeated himself, Jesus made sure he had two donkeys to ride because he wouldn't want there to be any mistake in our mind he cares for us that much the poor people might be forgiven for not remembering that scripture they may not ever have had the luxury of learning it but the words of Zechariah's prophecy that Messiah would come not on the back of a proud war stallion but humbly on a donkey and even the smaller colt the donkey's baby would have mattered very powerfully to the powerful. The elites in town would have known exactly what it meant. And Jesus knew. Jesus knew a true leader, rather than a mere ruler, would be one to whom even the poorest people could relate. A leader would rule in the people's hearts, not simply force them into submission, Jesus knew the wisdom behind Zechariah's prophecy that the people would follow a leader in a war chariot to war. But the only thing that they would follow a person on a donkey to was something peaceful and something that would be about finding food and enough for everyone if they chose to follow at all. Most of us have both the bane and the benefit of knowing a little about what happens next in the story. How the crowds turn or are made to appear to turn on Jesus. Now CNN has taught us in recent weeks as we've watched what's happening in Egypt and Libya. 
how crowds can be manipulated and blamed by the people in power for various things that aren't really on the minds of the crowd. So be careful when you hear the crowd did one thing one day and another on the next. We have to listen with ears to hear. Our challenge this morning is to stick just with the lesson that is before us. The reason Jerusalem was astir when Jesus came to town was because the poor people were calling on him to save them. And all that follows during Holy Week is a metaphor for what happens to people who stand up for those without power. And as I have heard the great Dr. Fred Craddock say more times than I can count, most people live from helpless infanthood to whistling old age in the period between Good Friday and Easter. Already, but not yet. Here's what I hope you will take home with you today. I say this because I love you. Many of you will come face to face with abusive power this week. Some of you will be bullied by people who are following the war chariot of bigotry. Some of you will be bullied by your own family and friends. Some of you will be given the choice between denying your core beliefs and keeping a job or staying physically safe. That is the hard reality we face in this broken, broken world. In those moments of confrontation, you won't be able to tell from the evidence if things are going to work out okay or not. Like Jesus on his way into Jerusalem, we hope the crowds will stay with us, but we won't know for sure. My sisters and brothers, in those moments, hold your head high. Saddle your donkey and ride. Just put one foot in front of the other. The high sovereign of heaven and earth has traveled the path before you and is your guide on the way. There is not an insult you will hear this week that Jesus hasn't heard before. There is not a pain, a lash, a thump that you will take that Jesus has not felt in his body. Stay strong when the evidence of your success is nowhere to be seen. Stay strong when those who used to be your friends can't be found. Stay strong when the repo man takes your donkey and then gives you something to carry. That may be a cross. Stay strong. It is not your responsibility to know the outcome during the dark days and nights when the world resists your healing and in its pain shouts at you and strikes out at you. Your only responsibility is to remember who your leader is and that Easter, thank God, is coming. Thank you.